Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Did you know? So, like, I don't know. Would it be... I don't want to bring anything up to you in a way that feels like horrible, but would it be bad for me to, like, mention those to you now? Are you asking if you can blackmail me? Conversations about collaboration, episode 55. Zoom may have introduced millions of people to screen sharing, but others have been doing it for decades. Also, why are engineers innately more collaborative than most of us? I talk about these subjects and others with Till Piper, CEO and co-founder of CoScreen. Let's get it on! Till, where the hell are you? Here I am. Okay, I'll cut this part, but let's start again. I was, uh, where are you? Is it where are you located? Oh, so sorry. Okay, okay. Right. Till, where are you? Hey there. I'm in Menlo Park right now in the Bay Area. It's a little smoky, though. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, it said Vegas. They can't see the strip in certain places because of all the fires. It's really scary that global warming is here and how so many people don't believe it's real. It's That's even more scary than the actual global warming to me. Yes, indeed. Um, let's get right into it here. Um, for years, I've been advocating screen sharing, and I can remember 2005, 2007, people said, I, I don't know how to do it, or my IT department bans it. But if there's anything good to come out of the pandemic, um, I think that we're more comfortable with Zoom and sharing screens. And I'd say very rarely now when I say, can you share your screen, or do you mind if I share my screen, does someone say no? Um, but I'm sure you'd agree that not all screen sharing tools are created equal. Am I wrong on that? I very much agree. Yeah, no, I think the, the main uh, issue is that they were built just like they, they were built in the 1990s, where I think I was at HP a long time ago, where we use Windows Net Meeting. And if you look at the, the way you do screen sharing in Zoom and other hip tools today, it looks exactly the same. Only one user can share. You have to share presenter rights until someone can share. It's like very sequential, serial, um, laborious, and that has never been addressed by any other tool from our perspective. But CoScreen changes that. Tell me a little bit about how your screen sharing is different than some of the tools that you just mentioned. Yeah, right. I mean, we provide a multi-user um, collaboration platform for macOS and Windows today and many other platforms soon. What we enable is that you can share a window with me, might be code editor, when I share any window with you, might be a browser. And uh, if I share my window with you, it appears on your site as if it was a local window. So you can interact with it. So you can click into it, type into it. You don't have to request for permissions. It's just like a true collaboration system. So again, like we have engineers using it for pair programming, for pair debugging. We have product teams using it to align product roadmaps. One user is sharing Notion. Another user shares Figma. You can copy and paste text between windows. Um, so we, we believe it's the one true uh, desktop collaboration system. It's interesting that you mentioned engineers and Adam. And in my experience, um, engineers are much more open to using these types of tools because they realize that it is very inefficient for me not to be able to copy and paste code. And yes, in Slack or in Zoom, you could upload snippets or you could text someone or share information a million other ways. But again, it just adds friction. And almost every engineer that I've ever met was obsessed with efficiency. 
I mean, exactly. And of course, CoScreen is built using a, a code repo tool like GitLab, where we have you know tens of thousands of lines of code, and we don't send these code snippets in CoScreen or elsewhere. But we feel like whenever you're debugging something, you're just trying to fix an ID that is wrong, or you know, you're trying to fix a deployment issue in AWS. It's not about you know hundreds of thousands of lines of code. It's just this one click that you you can't figure out this one thick typo that has to be fixed, and that's something you can do better together and find and then fix better together in a system that is truly collaborative, where everyone can just you know control and click and edit at the same time in any window. Mm -hmm. I think it was maybe. 11 or 12 years ago, I had a software problem and I recorded through, I don't know if it was QuickTime or whatever, but it doesn't matter, a video of the problem was I, I was experiencing and I threw it in Dropbox and sent the developer a link saying, here's my problem. And the guy wrote back, his English wasn't perfect, but a lot better than my Russian and said, I wish that every client did this. I don't think that that makes me special. Again, getting back to this point of efficiency, um, to me, it's intolerable, right? My personal definition of hell is going back and forth with support. I had a couple of problems with software vendors and they would not engage with me full-time. Now they did watch a couple of videos I recorded with um, iCloud app. And I know there are other tools like Loom, but ha have we turned the corner on that? I mean, if I were in support, I would want someone like me sending something like that. Right? Why would you want to go back and forth? Because as you know, you're missing so much context. Right? Oh, what operating system are you using? What exactly happened at that point? Well, nothing displays that like a video. No, I mean, agree very much. We, by the way, heavy users of Loom as well. Like uh, whenever we do something async, we typically default to, to Loom and folks increasingly use that not just for error reports, but also for sales outreach where you don't send a long email, but you just send a Loom where you in a personalized way address uh, the customer, which we find as a very interesting approach of, of reaching folks. It's clearly, uh, that video has become a much more important channel than it has, has been in the past, where you no longer have to describe your problem, you know, over like 50 lines of, of text in a, in a ticket, but you just send them a recording of your problem. And I think Loom has made that super easy, and that's why we use it as much as we do. Um, in addition, whenever you have time and, and the, the frameworks are there to connect at the same time, like synchronously, then we think there's a better way of doing this again by, you know, collaborating truly on, on the issue, where it's not just like one side presenting and the other users magically interacting like you helping your grandma with her computer problems but it's truly doing it together you know one side solves uh, shows the problem the other side shows the solution and increasing the, the knowledge transfer and the learning experience when doing that no matter if it's an it support issue a help desk problem or if it's a junior engineer getting help from a senior a senior engineer i have another theory let me know what you think so i accept your premise that while zoom is incredibly useful no one would call it a best of breed screen sharing tool, right? That's an important feature, but it's just one feature. With CoScreen, that is arguably the most important feature. Um, but people say, yeah, you know what? Zoom is good enough. I don't care about Loom. I don't care about different things. Um, and I've run into problems in my career when I suggested a tool to someone because they only saw things through the lens of you know, Outlook, say, as my task management and my email, my to-do list and all these things. Um, what do you say to the folks that say, look, I don't need to know all these six or seven tools or because you deal with so many engineers, they're just used to having a whole toolkit worth of tools? I mean, just to unline that, I think Zoom is a great communication tool and that's what they say. They don't say that they are a collaboration. They say we are a great video conferencing and communication platform for lots of use cases. And that's exactly what they are. But they're not the right platform to get something done like in a, like in a collaborative way. And that's not even something they claim. So. Um, no, I, th I think I think I very much agree. And of course, there are people that are 
that are uh, liking the current experience, but also because they can't imagine there's something different because there aren't that many, you know, innovations in this particular space. And I think many of them are coming around once they see that there's a better way of doing this or once they get their hands on a system where this is better. And we've seen that in other areas, you know, before Slack came around, I think very few folks would have said that there's a better way of business chatting, you know. They would have said, no, there's IRC and there's Skype for Business and it all sucks and there's Chatter and there's Yammer. And suddenly that turns out that it's a 24 billion opportunity in Slack to go over the whole market. And now it's also Teams in, in the mix. I think it's it's just that the nature of tech that it's not a, not that obvious, uh, you know, that there's a better way of doing this. In hindsight, it's easy. but um, And I think that's what's happening right now with collaboration and screen sharing. Have you come across fears from people from more established organizations that we don't want to take a chance on a startup that may not be around in a while, whereas with, say, Microsoft Teams, and yes, you can share screens, as you know, as well, that's probably not going anywhere, right? In fact, I would surmise that plenty of folks were hesitant about using Slack, even though I think it's incredibly useful, and I think they were at 15 million users when Salesforce bought them and they stopped announcing new numbers, but do you face a lot when it comes to sales? People saying, "I just it's a great tool, but um, I just don't know if it'll be around in so long and I don't want to go through the pr- process of change management if we have to move off of it? Oh, totally. You know, and I've been at SAP when uh, we implemented Slack over there and it took us two years to get it approved. So, um, you know, I've been on the other side of this complexity. And of course, we've heard this from some customers. And that's why we invested from early on in enterprise compliance. Like everything we do, is built on a stack that supports even largest institutions. And I don't know if there's a pattern there, but I would say four out of five large enterprise clients that approach us are from FinTech, our financial services providers mm. and governments who are the most, uh, you know, I would say mature and also careful companies. And they still seem to be doing fine with what we offer them in terms of enterprise uh, security and compliance. That's a, that was a tough thing because it, it you know, makes, develop, makes, makes developing software a little harder. Um, but we just knew that what we're building is a massively successful is, has a massive uh, potential for the enterprise and for for these regulated industries, and that's why we invested in that early on, and it seems to be paying off right now. But of course, it's still early. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about a couple of things that you just mentioned first, and not so much with regard to SAP, but any large, mature enterprise system. I'm sure you heard the expression, "The devil I know is better than the devil I don't," and many times as a consultant. Or on a speaking gig, I talk to someone and say, yeah, we hate system X, but we don't want to get rid of it because we know where the warts are. Whereas if we buy into system Y or system Z, that could be problematic. Uh, Is that just something you have to live with? Or does cloud computing and code repositories potentially alleviate that risk for organizations that know that they're not working in an optimal manner, but they don't want to get fired for making a bad situation worse? No, understood. I think I think the world has changed in that regards. Like again, when I worked at SAP in the early two thousands or so, like SAP was the set thing, and large customers and many large customers only bought SAP, and there was no way for anyone internal to buy anything else. And that has changed for the better. You know, it has opened up. Folks can pick best of breed. There are hurdles, just like we discussed with regards to compliance, that you have to uh, that you have to address. But otherwise, I think the world is indeed more open for startups to even go after B two B, and that's why there's such a huge interest in that space. Um, and I think as long as you do a good job in addressing these concerns upfront, you can you can go past that, right? You have to give these folks, the champions that are buying into, in our case, Coldscreen, the right things into their hands. You know, there are SOC 2 compliance certifications, there are penetration tests you can run, you can do GDPR certification. And if you have all these things in place, then, you know, folks buy 
buy your your pitch that it's secure. It's as secure as if you would work with a large vendor, and that's what we're doing. In addition, you can build on, you know, if you don't build everything in-house and maintain everything in-house, and but you rather rely on AWS and other managed infras that are more secure than if you would have your own, you know, back, uh, server in your backyard, it addresses these concerns as well. It's interesting that you mentioned security. I won't name my hosting company because I don't want to slam them, but um, almost every time I call, I ask if I'm allowed to share my screen or vice versa, and they say no. So we work around that by my either recording a video or sending a screenshot, and it's better than not having that, but it isn't as good as synchronous communication. Now, I don't know if it's a security or a compliance issue, but... um, it drives me crazy when people fall back on the email argument as if email is completely secure, right? I'd argue that Slack would say, you know, the encryption that they have involved and the fact that you really can't get spam, right? Cause you have to be invited to a channel, right? A message comes from someone you have let in that channel. Now you may not like that message. You may not like that person, right? But it's probably not a bot from someplace doing something untoward. So talk to me a little bit about that during the sales cycle. How often do you come across compliance and security as an issue and how do you overcome it? Because it's a mindset with folks, I think. Right. Um, no, I mean, just, just in that concern. I mean, I think a big reason for that is that support processes often rely on text and, and anything else that isn't text can't be processed, can't be judged, can't be you know mined as easily for internal purposes. That's why they just say, okay, let's fall back on text, everything text. Like we can't send images or videos to our doctors. We always have to write it in text. Uh, I think it's the same same thing there. Um, yeah, no, I think with regards to compliance, again, I think they are just like tools where you can just show that you've done your homework, like certifications and, you know, certain things that just folks care about. In our case, we made a security white paper public, uh, coldscreen.co slash security, where we address everything that we do about that topic that we know folks care about, encryption and, you know, incident management and how we build software. And um, it's I would say 90% of what folks ask is all there. It's public. You can see it right now if you care. So can com- competitors. And I think that just shows that we care. And that's that's typically enough to get POCs running and then later turn them into paying customers. Hmm. I know that Zoom did something similar back in, oh gosh, what was it, April of 2020 when they did the feature freeze and they put out a white paper and they asked academics to say, hey, you know, right. let us know if there are any faults in the security because we want to be as open about this as possible. And I think these are great ideas, and I think they actually did a, did a good job there. I think they it was a it was a mistake what they did prior to that, but I think the way they addressed that was great. And I think that's something that even small startups like us, with just like a bunch of people, can learn learn, and we, which we did. So we did something similar by publishing a white paper and, and publishing our view on the space and why why we do what we do, and then folks can make their own judgment if they like it or not. Um, yeah, no, I think I think you're very much right. I think there are different ways of dealing with this, and being open is one of them. You know, there are bounty programs. Uh, you can hire a third party penetration testing agencies that just do try to break a system, which we did with our tool. And I think that taught us a lot of things. I mean, I think we did a good job, but of course they found things and we fixed them. And now our users are more secure than ever before. You said Zoom made a mistake. Say more about that because I think we may disagree, but I want to hear your rationale. I think that Zoom pushed the boundaries and lots of things in terms of how easy it should be for folks to join sessions. I think at the time they had like nine or 12 digit long numbers to join a zoom meeting and then folks bombed sessions uh, across the board and then i think that was one of the issues and i think they had like a server running in the background of your computer without your consent and so on they made that and understand why they made it so that you can join sessions faster whenever you get an invite and i get that but i think they didn't just do this in a tr- transparent way from what i've seen is they changed it which is awesome 
and I think we all learned from that, right? I mean, I think startups always push the boundaries on, on the same things. We have to be as fast and user-friendly as we can. And therefore, uh, I think we all learned from that. But I think the main learning for me was that transparency helps. And then you get you get goodwill from from folks as long as you show that you really care and you respond to inquiries and so on and you, you do your, your homework. I think that with Zoom, the world shifted because at the end of 2019, they had 10 million enterprise customers and then... Right. pandemic happened. And then before you know it, it was 200 million primarily consumer users and then 300 million um, in April of, of 2020. So I'd say that they were listening to their customers, but then their customer base changed, right? And Zoom bombing became a thing. And yes, it wasn't that hard to guess 10 digits, right? Versus whatever it is, 26 alphanumeric characters, which you know, you're probably talking about tens of trillions uh, with a password to boot and all the other right, right. measures that they took. So um, yeah, just who could have planned? I mean, it was a good problem to have. But it was still a problem, right? Right, and I think it just increased the awareness that the, these gaps were there, and I think you could have abused them, and maybe folks have abused them before before that happened. So I think it's it just shine shine light on the these risks that were there beforehand. I don't, I don't know if anyone has has abused that, but I think you know things have to be, folks have to be more careful, like you know, using just digits and a short number as as an identifier for sessions is just not a good idea. I think that's all something we learned from that experience. Yeah, it's. And we, I think we as an industry get better for that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, with Zoom, it's made me a lot hard. It made it a lot harder for me to Zoom bomb. <laughs> yeah, right. Same here. Good stuff, Till. I'll get you here, out of here on this. What book are you currently reading? Uh, I'm reading Dealers of Lightning, which is the story about Xerox Park and uh, you know how how they invented the computer that we're using today. And how it went on from there to Apple and else other companies. I think it's a fascinating story when you've been Silicon Valley is surrounded by history around things we care about, and that's that's kind of uh, telling the the early story of that. Good stuff, Till. Thanks for being on. I really enjoyed it. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at Wait for it patreon.com forward slash phil simon i've set up a number of different tiers including early access and podcast sponsorships thanks for listening to conversations about collaboration if you like what you heard and how can you not please download like and or subscribe see you next time Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.